Hi again, everyone. Steve Stewart here. Uh, this week, Passion Week, I wanted to take a few minutes each day and, uh, and talk a little bit about different aspects of this most remarkable week. In, in most of the Gospels, this one week takes up between 30 and 50% of the entire narrative. Uh, we started yesterday by looking at um, Jesus uh, being anointed for burial. Uh, Mary anointed him. Uh, she she gave everything she had. We we saw not only a prophetic act but an act of great devotion. Two days ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday. I got to celebrate in part by uh, watching one of my grandchildren be baptized. It was it was a delight. But today we want to talk about what's uh, called the triumphal entry, which is really at the heart of Palm Sunday. So let me just read from the scripture. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what has been had been spoken uh, through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus! from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, I want to point out fairly briefly just four or five things. The the very first one, it's always struck me as, as almost humorous because following Jesus all the way back to the t- time of the disciples uh, will push us beyond our comfort. Uh, here he says to a couple of the disciples, I want you to go into the next town. You're going to find a a donkey, um, and it's full. I want you to untie them. If anybody says, hey, what are you doing? You just say, the Lord has need of them. And we so easily read over that, and we don't realize that a donkey in uh, first century uh, Palestine was incredibly valuable, uh, typically shared by two or three families. Now imagine if, if it was today, and Jesus was saying to you, I want you to go into the next town, in front of the post office, you'll see a brand new Mercedes with the keys in the ignition, start it up, bring it to me, and if anybody says, what are you doing? You just say, the Lord has need of it. So uh, this is kind of humorous for me, but it reminds me, and if you look at the Gospels it, it, in real life, not as two-dimensional kind of cart- cartoon characters, uh, that our familiarity can cause us to do that, we'll see that it really is always an adventure following Jesus. Well, now let's look at this entry. Roman conquerors, and certainly Jerusalem had been conquered by Rome a long time before that and were living as an occupied people, but Roman conquerors 
Uh, when they returned in triumph from a campaign, they always entered the city on a white stallion through the main ceremonial gate. In fact, nothing's changed since then. We, we, we see it uh, with Napoleon. Uh, we see it again and again with conquerors doing that. In, in our day, uh, the pomp and circumstance is, is maybe a, a, a parade of limousines and the people out shouting. But Jesus at this point, almost seemed to be engaged in, in parody or, or theater because instead of coming in the main gate, it's like he comes in the back way. It was east, the east gate probably, but he comes in on a small donkey. Picture that. It's like his feet are almost dragging. Um, and, and what's this about? Well, uh, several things. One, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy by Zechariah who who said, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, it's interesting because this is quoted by both uh, John in his account and Matthew in his account, and and they're quoting it, you know, decades after the event. During the event, they probably were confused. What's going on? Why are we doing this? But now they're looking back from the perspective of the cross and resurrection. As uh, last week, we had Brad Jerzak on our Thursday podcast, and, and he talked about the need to see Scripture through that paradigm of cross and resurrection. So Jesus is coming in. And people are cutting branches. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. And they're cutting branches, and and that's on the road. But what we may not realize is this gesture went all the way back to what was called the Maccabean Revolt. Um, About 160 years earlier, um, there'd been a revolt, and and. Uh, when people cut branches and put them on the street, it was a sign of of nationalism. It was a sign of military triumph. Um, when the people uh, in the passage we just read, they were quoting Psalm 118, uh, 24 and 25, which is a psalm of great victory. Um, and they were, it's because the people on Palm Sunday were expecting a king, a Messiah who would rally Israel behind uh, behind him to defeat and drive out the Romans. When they said Hosanna, uh, one of my grandchildren, the one who was baptized this weekend, her name is Hosanna, and it literally means save us. As they cut the palm branches and put them down and some put their clothing on the road, What they were really doing is they were looking for a a sociopolitical leader or savior uh, who would free them from Rome. That's the salvation that they were looking for. And so they saw salvation primarily as being rescued from the situation they were in. They were looking for a savior who could, could change things in the world that they were unhappy, unhappy with the state. You know, for much of the church, if we're honest, um, much of the evangelical church, I think especially, it's the same today. 
It's, yes, a Savior, but a Savior who will change my circumstances, who will, who will bring the kind of justice that I want. But Jesus is a new kind of king, and he's come proclaiming a new kind of kingdom. It's, it's not, as he said in John's gospel, it's not from below, but from above. It's not by the usual earthly standards. This is a different kind of triumph that's going on in Jerusalem. It is humility over pride. It is the triumph of sacrificial emptying, what's called canonic love, triumphing uh, over worldly power. Now, there's another point I want you to see. There's a great irony going on here. In, in Luke's account, he reports that while the people are saying Hosanna and the children are dancing, that, <coughs> excuse me, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they come out and they tell Jesus, tell them to stop, rebuke the crowds for what they're singing and saying. And here's the irony. History tells us that they were in the midst of what would turn out to be almost 150 years of continuous prayer in the temple. And what was the focal point of that prayer? Asking God to send the Messiah. So here he comes. The people don't properly understand who he is, but they know something's happening. And and the religious folks are saying, quiet them down. In their religious zeal and activity, um, it's like they missed what Jesus said. You missed the hour of your visitation. They missed what God was doing, which is always what we must be careful of, too. So yesterday, the anointing of Jesus at Bethany, and today, this triumphal entry, they present us with a profound contrast. Um, yesterday, we saw Mary's unreserved, extravagant, uh, and deep devotion to Jesus. She held nothing back, um, and so she gave this prophetic act, but it was also an act of great love. There was a great depth to it. Today, we see the crowd's attraction to Jesus, the excitement, I think attraction to the miracles that have been taking place, uh, the great hope of a Savior that would come on their terms. But unlike Mary, this wasn't built on a solid foundation. In fact, we know that only five days later, this same crowd would shout, crucify him, crucify him, because because what they were experiencing was not built upon relationship with Jesus. It was built on their own desires to have him straighten out their world. Mary, in contrast to the crowd who said, crucify him, because she had deep relationship with him, even at some peril to herself, she's traditionally believed to be one of the, the, the myrrh bearers. Myrrh was a, a, an ointment uh, for preparing the body. That she was one of the women who stayed at the foot of the cross when everybody else abandoned him. Uh, or derided him. The crowd wants power and influence and external change. I would say we must be very careful in our 21st century gospel that we don't want the same thing. 
Because instead of that, what Jesus brings is sacrificial, self-emptying love. Some of you may know I I, uh, wrote a book last year called The Beatitudes for a Time of Crisis. And one of the points I made is that the Beatitudes have been recognized for over a thousand years as, among other things, a biography of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, etc. This is who Jesus is. I was thinking about Psalm 24, which I love, and the people shout in the psalm, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory shall come in. And then they say, Who is this King of glory? What we see today gentle and humble, bringing an entirely new kind of kingdom. This is the king of glory. God bless you.